Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we um, think about these two passages we've heard today, we pray that you would encourage us, you would help us to hear your word for each of us and as church together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So we have arrived at the last part of the Epiphany stories, and this is the last week that the Follow the Star candles will be there on the table. There'll be some different ones next week while we still wait for the silver candlesticks to be repaired and etc. This perhaps is a story that's familiar for one reason and one reason only, and that's the Nunc Dimittis, the prayer that we use that Simeon said, Lord, now thou lettest thou thy servant depart in peace. I'm sure some of that will be familiar to some of you. But I think this is a really important story because it reveals once more to us that Jesus came to save all people, not just the Jews. As Joseph and Mary bring their tiny baby to the temple for all the necessary ceremonies according to the laws in Leviticus, it's Leviticus 12 if you want to look it up, Um, I'm not going to read it because it's a bit... You read it, you'll see what I mean. (laughs) Um, But the the idea is that they've come to offer thanks for a safe delivery and to present the child to God because, specifically, he is a firstborn son. One of the first ceremonies we undertake for children is registering their birth with a visit to the registry office. Now, some of you will have done this and some of you may not. It has to be done within 42 days of the child being born for all births in England, Wales and Northern Ireland. I don't know what they do in Scotland, but I'm sure they do something. And there's lots of information that you need to know in order to do it. So let's see what you know about what you need to know to register a baby's birth. Any thoughts as to what things you might need to be able to tell the registrar? The name. That's fairly key. The The parents' names. Where they were born. Where the parents were born or the child? Where the child was born. The date of birth. Sorry? The date of birth. Boy or girl. That's fairly key too, yes. The occupations of the parents. There's a couple more things. Um... By the fact that you're registering it with them, they are going to be British, so, yeah. There's still a mm, few more things. The relationship with the person registering? The re- um, Whether you're mother or father? Yeah. No. We have, yes. It actually does ask for the places and dates of the parents' birth. And also the date of their marriage or civil partnership. It also asks for the mother's maiden surname. Once you've got all that, you can do it. (laughs) Once they're registered, the baby is then official, you could say. They are known by their name in law now. And consequently, a bit further down the line, they will be given a national insurance number. Do you remember receiving your national insurance number through the post? No. I I kind of do, simply because it came on a plastic card and I'd never seen anything like it before. 
Um, it was a complete surprise to me. And I can remember what it is. It's WL029366C. There you go. Why I should remember that, I don't know. But sometimes it's quite useful to prepare. Um, the baby's now official in the eyes of the law. But, of course, they've been official in the eyes of the family and their friends for however many days previously. Now, in Jesus' name, case, his name was announced before he'd even been born. That was somewhat unusual, to be fair. Um, and it was an angel that did it, which was even more unusual, equally, to be fair. Um, but then his name was again confirmed at his circumcision ceremony. Now, when was that happen? Does anybody know? How many days after birth did the circumcision ceremony happen? Seven. Eight. Eight days. On the eighth day, thank you, Jackie, on the eighth day, um, everybody was circumcised, if they were male and Jewish. It's not until 33 days after that that Mary is allowed to go out. And she must first go to the temple for the purification ceremony that is going to make her ritually clean after having given birth. Some of you ladies might remember the process of churching. Does anybody remember churching? That was kind of the same equivalent thing, really, that you know, until you'd been to church and been prayed with by the priest, um, you kind of... You weren't fit to go anywhere, basically. I, there you go. However... If you look in Leviticus 12, you'll discover that it says that if you have a girl, you have to wait twice as long. Now, what's that all about? That's really interesting, isn't it? That's a very patriarchal thing to decide, that if you have a girl, you have to wait twice as long. But it's there. You'll see it says 66 days. Leviticus gives some instructions as to what needs to actually happen. Now, we need to remember that this is a law that's all about reflecting the life and death of people. That's kind of the history behind Leviticus. Offerings have to be made, a burnt offering and a sin offering. And Mary and Joseph have to make that decision too, but of course they're not very well off, so they don't give a lamb and a pigeon or a dove. They are allowed, because they are poor, to give two young pigeons or a pair of doves. And if you look for pictures, you'll see Joseph is usually carrying two birds in a cage of some sort. So Jesus is then presented in the temple. He's doing this. They're doing this because Jesus is their firstborn son. And they want to acknowledge that he belongs to God. The one, of course, who has the power to give life in the first place. And the writer to the Hebrews reminded us that Jesus shared in our humanity at every level. He was fully human in every way. I'm going to read it, the passage again to you from there, from Hebrews 2, um, from the message translation, because I think it kind of puts it straightforwardly. Since the children are made of flesh and blood, it's logical that the Saviour took on flesh and blood in order to rescue them by his death. By embracing death, taking it into himself, he destroyed the devil's hold on death and freed all who cower through life, scared to death of death. It's obvious, of course, that he didn't go to all this trouble just for angels. It was for people like us, children of Abraham. That's why Jesus had to enter into every detail of human life. Then, when he came before God as high priest 
to get rid of all the people's sins, he would have already experienced it all himself, all the pain, all the testing. And so he would be able to help where help was needed. That, that makes a bit more sense, maybe. Jesus is the beginning of the help at this point. Now, often when we hear this passage from Luke, we think about Simeon and we think about Anna. But I want to think just for a minute about Mary in all of this process. I can remember back to when our first son was born. I remember thinking it was very important that we registered to him as soon as possible. But I have no recollection of going with Andrew to do it. Um, and neither, he doesn't think I did either, so hopefully I, that's right. <clears throat> no, actually for me, it was much more important the first time we took him to church. I'm not exactly sure why that was so important, but it clearly just was. Now, whether it was a combination of showing him off, well, when you're 21 and you've got this new baby, and there hasn't been a new baby in the church for years... Um, and actually he's been in hospital for three weeks, so it's really quite nice to be able to finally take him into church. You can kind of see how that might have been. But I knew that I was going to thank God for him in the family church, in the place where we worshipped week in, week out. And I needed to thank God for him because he's called Matthew, which means the gift from God. Um, And it was really key to me that I did that. Mary must have felt similar, I guess. It's really important that I go to to the temple, that I go through the processes that I need to do so, so that I can thank God for the gift of Jesus. So you can imagine the scene. She's standing there, holding the baby in her arms. And then suddenly he's taken from her. She strains to hear. He is so beautiful. And this old man is holding him so gently in his big but bony fingers, fingers that have worked hard through the years, hands that have been lifted in praise and worship to the God who loves them every day. She notices the tears fall down his wizened face as the realisation dawns bright in Simeon's mind that God has finally answered his prayer. And Mary hears eventually... Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And then Mary suddenly remembers. This is the second prophecy she's heard about her son, The first time he was described as Lord by Elizabeth. Now he's the Messiah. The one who is going to bring glory and revelation. The anointed one, the saviour. Comfort will be his watchword. Both uh, Both Elizabeth and Simeon declare these things to the world before Jesus has even uttered a solitary word from his mouth, a whispered prayer from his heart, or a definitive challenge to any of his friends. The Lord, the Messiah. It 
In this moment, I wonder what Mary is really hearing, how she really feels. Yet another reminder that her son is going to be special, yes. I wonder if she would really rather not have known that. Why doesn't Simeon say, oh, he's so cute, he's a lovely baby. (coughs) Mary would have known the prophecies concerning the Messiah, the one who is going to save God's people, who's going to be the true ruler of the world. Surely he's going to be a great warrior who's going to defeat the Romans. How is this going to work out? You can imagine all this playing in her mind. How is it going to work out? What is his future going to look like? And then Simeon carries on. Jesus will be a light to many, but a thorn in the side of many more. And then there's a distinctive sentence that comes in Mary's direction that is specifically for her. And a sword will pierce your own soul too. What does he mean? Maybe he is confused. He's after he is old and the baby is very beautiful. And yet he looks so wise. Is he making a mistake? Is my bundle of joy really the light for the world? Is he really the saviour for us all, me included? I wonder if Mary thinks back to the moment when she listened to the angel, when she was told she was going to have this baby to hold and to love. As Simeon holds the baby in offering to God, his life is changed, just as hers was on that day. But I wonder if hers is changed again on this day, as she sees in the distance the grief that potentially is coming. Prophetess Anna, she's a familiar face in the temple. She also speaks out about the tiny baby. She hadn't lost hope that she was going to see the Messiah, even though she too was old and had been a widow for so many years. On this day, her life is changed too. It seems to me that this is a picture, a scene, that is really important for us. At first sight, it's a really nice, pious picture, isn't it? An old man and an old lady cooing over a baby, proud parents standing, looking on. There's many famous paintings of it and stained glass windows. In fact, in my previous church in Utoxeter, there was a stained glass window of exactly this moment. But is it really a nice family scene? Or is it a life-challenging encounter? For Joseph and for Mary, now cleansed and able to worship God again in the temple, they offer their lives to God as they care for the child. They can now begin their family life together. Simeon and Anna, both representative of Israel at its very best. These are people of prayer led by the Holy Spirit. They are those who are longing for the fulfilment of all God's promises as they expected them through their understanding of Scripture. In this moment, they both testified to the arrival of deep peace on earth. They can now, as Simeon said, die in peace. For Jesus himself, blessing has been pronounced and the nature of his future work has been revealed. This is who he is to be. 
as the writer to the Hebrews says, that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God. He might make atonement for the sins of the people. The message says the high priest to get rid of people's sins. Jesus comes that we might be forgiven. But to do it, he's going to be, have to be an offering like those two pigeons or two doves. He's going to have to die on the cross. How amazing is it that right at the beginning of his life, we discover that he is prepared to do that. Even for me, even for you. So does this story change us? The new baby has changed the lives of the old prophets. The new baby has brought new life to his parents, even if there is the promise of grief and pain along the way, whatever that's going to look like. But does this new baby change us? Today we find ourselves in a new scenario. Our connection to the European Union is being severed, and that's going to bring change. Some of it might be good, some of it might be more difficult, some of it we might wish had never happened in the first place. That's the nature of change, is it not? Change does that to us. Sometimes we can embrace it wholeheartedly. Andrew and I were having a conversation at breakfast about uh, an article on the BBC News website where um, there'd been somebody uh, who had been um, abused as a child, locked in cellars and things, and then he'd gone into a care home and had been abused in the care home. Finally, as an adult, he wanted to make a definitive difference to life. He wasn't going to let anybody else win. Change was important for him. Stuff was going to be new. Another person was talking to me also this morning about change in a kind, very different way. Um, so I was talking to John Ling, and we were talking about Crystal Palace. And he'd been in his lip reading class earlier in the week, and they'd been talking about Crystal Palace. And he had said to the assembled people, um, I remember when that was set on fire in 1936. And this lady kind of looked at him and said, well, how old are you? <laughs> um, which, let's face it, doesn't look the age he is. But, um, and we then talked about the difference between how that would have been reported today and how it was reported back then. Nobody had televisions. You had to go to the cinema to see newsreels. And then John was complaining because he said, I always thought it was awful because they just used to focus on one thing. They never used to get the variety of news we get today. And I'm thinking, mm, I think sometimes it'd be nice to just have one thing, not the whole gamut of stuff we get. But it, the change happens. Sometimes it's for the best. Sometimes it isn't. We all know that. But how do we deal with change? How will we deal with the changes that... Um, being not part of the European Union anymore is going to be. So we're going to hol on holiday to Brittany in the summer and uh, we were just checking out, do we need to change our passports? Well, we do need to change our passports. What will they look like when they come? Will they be different? Um, do we need to think differently about all sorts of things to do with going abroad? I looked it up, so if anybody else is doing this, um, you don't have to worry in 2020. In 2021, you might have to, but this year, everything remains kind of as it was for foreign holidays to the European Union. But change is hard, isn't it? Change is difficult. Ultimately, we will all have to account for how we have responded to change, to what we have seen, to what we have heard, and how we have lived. 
Mary's new scenario meant that the joy within the pain of birth would eventually be reversed with grief in the pain of death, as she will hold her son at the foot of the cross. And yet in this moment is her salvation as well as ours. For Mary even to be in the temple, to hear and see this whole um, scene play out in front of her, she had to be made clean, not physically of course, but ritually. Maybe today we would term that spiritually. The baby is dedicated to God. My guess is, and it is entirely a guess, that she probably dedicated herself too for whatever the future was going to hold. I wonder if we need to be a bit like Mary on that day, to be cleansed and then to be dedicated. Maybe we need to think a bit more about what 2020 is going to hold for us as we carry on into it. Maybe we've just been waiting for the chance for somebody to say, yes, it is okay to say change is hard, but help me to make the change. the change I'm talking about is following the Lord Jesus Christ as our saviour, as our companion, as our guide. As we move into our independence from Europe, I'm sure we will all have some maybes. Maybe we will be a bit scared of what it's all going to look like. Maybe we will be really relieved that it's happened. Maybe we will be I'm concerned about what the future will be for our children and our grandchildren. Only you can know how you feel about that. But maybe we too are a bit scared to say, yes, I follow the Lord Jesus. Maybe sometimes we feel a bit scared to kind of throw our lot in with him because life doesn't seem kind of quite the same. So I suspect that as we reflect on these passages today, Maybe the biggest challenge for us from them both is that we will allow ourselves to be cleansed and rededicated for whatever the future holds. Jesus is the one whom we can trust, the one who shared our humanity in order to save us. So I want to ask you, will you, will you let him change you? Will you let him clean you? Will you let him journey with you day by day? And maybe the biggest challenge of all, will you tell other people about it? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you that you are prepared to change us. We ask you to help us to be prepared to let you do just that, today and every day. Amen.